Have you ever been inexplicably drawn to a specific experience or a specific person? Where it felt mysterious and beyond your control like a thread was drawing you forward. Maybe you saw a book on a shelf and felt compelled to pick it up and read it. Or you saw a style of art or poetry that was new to you and you thought, that is amazing, I need to learn how to do that. It's that feeling which leads some people to choose a career that becomes their life. Um, perhaps some people choose science or others pursue boxing as their passion. I think on a deep level, we're all compelled to pursue experiences in our lives because of those unconscious needs and predispositions. Even the person we fall in love with may be the opposite of the one we thought we wanted, but something was beyond our control, right? I think those impulses are a huge part of life. It's like when a child is born, their biology, DNA, and neural wiring place them on a certain course. The wheels are then set in motion and they begin spinning and unless something from their environment hinders them, then the destination that their story leads will always be the same. In classical terms, we would call that destiny. On today's episode, I'm joined by a remarkable singer and composer named Shelley Thomas, who I've had the pleasure of working with before. She was born in California, singing from an early age and became obsessed with world music in her late teens, leading her to become a student from many masters and travel the world far and wide to perfect her craft. Learning the rich music traditions of dozens of cultures and picking up 15 languages along the way. And that's what fascinates me about her story. And we're going to dive into that. She was kind enough to invite me into her home for this sit-down conversation about creativity, music, destiny, and spirituality. We'll start this episode with one of her songs from her album Joy, which is a collection of traditional Bulgarian folk songs. You can buy it on iTunes or CD Baby, and when you do, trust me, you will love it. After the song, we'll visit with Shelly for our conversation. This is Creative Codex. I am MJ Dorian. Let's begin. Oh, 
So I'm here with the super talented singer, composer, arranger, Shelly Thomas. Thank you for uh, having me to have this sit-down discussion with you about creativity. It's a pleasure to be here. I think an interesting place to start, maybe in, in our exploration of this, would be if there was ever a moment in your early years that you heard something from world music that you can pinpoint as maybe a starting point of, of your fascination with, with those styles and, and anything like that. Definitely. You know, I come from a musical family. My mom's a classical pianist, and she was also an accompanist, as was my grandmother in the church. They both did choral music. So harmony is deeply ingrained in me mm. and um, kind of my lifelong obsession. Uh, and on top of harmony is ornamentation and pitch precision, microtonal scales. So I went to CalArts. I actually applied in the classical vocal program um, I started taking voice lessons when I was 15 and I was doing pop R&B styles and she prepared me with some Italian arias for that classical program. I wanted to get into jazz, but they didn't have a jazz program. Hmm. And then I discovered world music when I was there and eventually switched my major from classical to musical arts program to world music with emphasis in Hindustani vocals. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So I dove into that before Arabic music. Hmm and at the same time was studying West African drumming from Ghana and um, and they had a Bulgarian choir there and it was Kate Conklin was my first Bulgarian vocal teacher and hmm. I fell in love with the sonorities and the, the, harm, the stridency of the vocal style and just really dove into that choir took a leadership role you know we had quartet and performances and and then I went to Bulgaria in 2010. I graduated in 2008. This was 2005, maybe mm. I got started. And then when I was in Bulgaria, I studied at the Folk Music and Dance Academy Summer oh, wow. Seminar in Plovdiv. And I heard some um, village ladies singing and was just crying as I was listening. Like, <laughs> this is clearly <laughs> something that's impacting my soul. Wow. And then uh, also studied you know, Persian music at CalArts and also Latin percussion and Latin jazz salsa and all of this kind of, at first I was like, I don't know where this is going, but it sure feels good. So I'm <laughs> going to go with it. Now, now, I have to rewind you a second because that moment where you say you were, you were kind of tearing up or crying from the Bulgarian vocalists, um, can you say a little bit more about that? I mean, what was the scenario there? What was the setting? Was it official, like, concert? Was it just in a village? What, what was that? It was in a classroom at mm. this academy in Plovdiv. Um, Petrona Kucheva was my teacher of that class, and she invited some, like, grannies from a nearby village. I don't remember the specific one for this song, but mm. um, I was sitting in the classroom, and that's where I learned to read Cyrillic, because she would pass out um, mm. she, lyrics in... Bulgarian Cyrillic, and there were no English, so I had to catch up mm. immediately. And um, so Cyrillic is the original uh, alphabet used in Bulgaria, yeah, and, right, and all the Slavic countries. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, and then the Arabic music I was introduced to by a woman from Jena Folk Chorus, which I sang with, mm. um, who was like, "There's an Arabic music class at Barnsdall Art Center." 
with Wael Kakish, and I went to his class. It was like a six-week course and fell in love with that music around 2008. Hmm. Um, and then dove in, and then I moved to New York about a year later, and, you know, there was a lot of moments. Also with the West African drumming, like the rhythmic sense is so deep in me. I used to bang on pots and pans when I was a little kid. <laughs> I've always had this rhythmic sensibility. Actually, <laughs> this is kind of personal, but my mom and I used to like play rhythms in the bathroom yeah. from one bathroom to the other when we were sitting no kidding. Like back and forth to each other. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. <laughs> so I just thought of that. That's so cute. And... Um, so as soon as I got into the A-Way drumming, we would just dedicate so much time to it and play and jam like mm. late at night mm. out on the edge of CalArts. And um, mm. I really dove into that music and Alfred Lodzekbo became my mentor uh, for the last two years I was there. And, and um, he specialized he in something? He a chief drummer from Ghana, yeah, mm. that taught us this music. So. Even though, like, I was a vocalist and, like, I, I've always been a musician as well and cultivated different avenues of my musicianship alongside, like, being a singer. Right. And it felt that it's as important as, as just singing, you know? mm. um, right. So the drumming, I think I internalized that and had a lot of deep, profound experience from that which in turn is coming out in my music. Um, mm. It's all coming out now, but... You still drum? I'm like, without an ensemble right now in New York, and it's painful, but mm. I will be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, uh, from the way you're telling it, a lot of your influences and exposure to world music was through the program at CalArts? Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. Huh. Opened up my world, I mean, and then I you, just continued yeah. studying and traveling and exploring wow. on my own beyond that. Had you listened to uh, any styles of world music that you can remember before the college experience? No. Really? No kidding. Yeah, huh. I um, I grew up with classical and jazz, mm. mostly, and and also hip hop. Yeah. And pop, and and some rock and alternative, and yeah. What would you say were, were like maybe some elements of world music that attracted you to it? Like the expressive totally. so, style, the... There's so many elements, like, but... No, of, co of course, of course, of course, you can't really reduce it. First, I just want to say, like, I realized in fifth grade, listening to Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby. <laughs> this is the song that I was able to, like, analyze the piece of music and break apart all the different layers. Fifth grade? Yeah. Wait, fifth grade? Yeah. So, uh, what, like... Harmony, everything, vocal, the like production, yeah. yeah, everything going on. I was like oh. just analyzing all of it and like appreciating it. Hmm. That's pretty so, good. That's pretty early to do that. It's, uh, been singing since I was two. Right. Um. But that was kind of a moment that I was like, I'm into this. I'm into like the complexity of music uh, and right. the accessibility. Like it's a pop song, right? Right. But um. So that's an aside. What was mm -hmm. your question? Oh, the, the elements of world music that I find interesting? Yeah. Or, or really like compelled you forward to keep diving in and exploring yeah. it. Because you said you originally were going for jazz. And, and if you come... But I wasn't, mother, though. I, you just I thought, thought you were, I was because I was were. reaching for something <laughs> that I didn't know what it was yet. I see, I see, I see. Um, 
So yeah, pitch precision, like I was saying, ornamentation, scales, mm. what you can do with the human voice, different ways that it's used in different cultures. I was always interested in culture and traveling and learning about other types of people, other ways of life, interested in language, how languages are connected, how language is connected to song and music and uh, puts it in a cultural context as right. well as music existing in a universal way beyond mm. language different timbres of different instruments um but really it's it was just like i live very feeling based very emotion based and intuitively and i've always been that way and the best things in my life or the path as it unfolds in front of me is when i am in touch with my higher self and listening to that intuition hmm. and following feelings so that's the main reason why music is the love of my life, is the feeling that it gives me. And just opening, and when I he have heard different styles, such as Arabic music and Bulgarian music, like it hit me with this feeling that I could not resist, mm -hmm. or I couldn't mm -hmm. control. It's just like, it's just a fact, like, you have to do this. I have to follow this. It resonated in some way with some deeper part of yeah, yourself, right? Yeah, like a past life or something. I don't mm. even know mm. how that works. It's funny how that stuff works. It's very strange. Yeah. I know that um, I, I've always really loved listening to all styles of music, especially, you know, just around the world. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember um, when being a teenager, CD stores used to still exist, going in and um, you know, there's the pop section, rock section, hip-hop section, and eventually, after you visit them two or three times, it's kind of homogenous, it's kind of like, it all starts to look the same. But then I would always go to the world music section, and no matter what day it was, no matter how many times I flipped through and what store it was, something there always surprised me. Like, yeah. within like two or three flips, I'm like, oh, yeah. what's this? Same. Oh, and what's Amiga that? Records. Oh, Native American flute? Sure. Oh, shakuhachi, Japanese stuff? Yeah, <laughs> let's check that out. Like, no matter what, tabla? What's tabla? And then, like, no matter what. And so I would always just, like, pick stuff up and listen to it and, and um, groove out to it. And it just, it's such a fascinating way of one discovering different cultures, like what you were saying. Yeah. I did that at yeah. Amoeba in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, Amoeba, yeah, yeah, that's still around, luckily, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would I always, like, walk out with a stack of 10 new CDs. <laughs> But um, the other thing is that I love connecting with people and learning about people and the psychology, like you were mentioning, psychology and spirituality, like the fact that we are not just physical beings here. We have an essence that's beyond this three dimensions. So like finding those connections with people from all over the world and people that are on the wavelength or mm. you know and seeing how music is used as a tool all over the world to access other realms mm. and kind of integrating that together and celebrating the individuality of different cultures and what makes them distinct and also finding the common denominator of our spiritual origin mm. that's some deep stuff <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i mean it's fascinating that uh the music is what really connects people together beyond the barrier of language. It absolutely is. Right? I mean, you get Everywhere. two people in a room, and every culture has some scales they share, too, which is kind of crazy to think that no matter what culture you look at, they all at least share the pentatonic scale. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of just venture off and then have their own little variations and, and things mm -hmm. that are more unique to them. But 
it's such a weird idea that all around the world these cultures developed completely differently, different thousands and thousands of years, different mm -hmm. instrument construction, right? And yet they all at some point are using the pentatonic scale mm. just as like a human like urge. Mm -hmm. um, a propensity for that. I mean, in addition to a lot of other scales, as you know, but well, yeah, it's kind of also the Pythagorean scales and how mm. it mirrors like the golden ratio of nature. There's some really deep stuff there mm. about how it's reflected in music. These like universal truths. Um, and then Makamat is the name of the scale system of Arabic music. There's mm. a lot of different uh, makams, which mm. each have different colors, different tonalities, and mm. it's, the quarter tones are like. If you look at a piano keyboard and between a black note and a white note, you cut that in half, that's a quarter tone. Right, right. So it's like opens the world up to right. that many more colors. How do you, I, that always like freaked me out, the idea of the microtones and quarter tones. Mm -hmm. How do you train your ear or your voice to start doing that kind of stuff? How do you train yourself to be a good friend? <laughs> Okay, throwing proverbs back at me. Learn to listen. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, because uh, traditionally, you know, if you're singing, you're using the piano, so piano doesn't have those tones. Traditionally, you know. in what tradition? Well, I'm just sticking to Western traditions, right? But, exactly. Um, so is there an instrument that you'll, as a singer, tend to use as you're learning to like, get into the quarter tones? I picked up the oud which is an Arabic lute, like a grandfather of the guitar, and mm -hmm. a European lute that's fretless, to accompany my singing. Um, and have been working on that about four years I've been playing. I also played guitar before, since I was 17, so have that, and played piano mm -hmm. when I was like seven or eight. Um, but the oud helps really lock in the microtones and, oh. and I study with teachers mm. like George Ziade and go to Simon Shaheen's Arabic music retreat every August and mm. um, just a, a lot of listening though like I love that instrument and I've fallen in love with that instrument as a byproduct I, originally I thought it would just be like accompanying myself right on the vocals more but um yeah a lot of it's just listening to traditional music and then listening mm. to other singers, working with master teachers, and then it starts to sink in. Mm. But I think it requires an open-mindedness, just as with any language. Like if you say, oh, I'm too old, I can't do this, or I don't understand, that doesn't compute, you're creating a mental block. You yeah. know? If you come with the open-mindedness of a child who wants to learn, you can absorb more easily. Right, if you approach in a way with humility. Totally. Uh, makes you a much better student and a much better friend <laughs> to go back to the, that idea. I definitely strive for that. <laughs> right. Was there a point in your training? There must have been, I imagine, moments where um, you're with a teacher in terms of just practicing uh, singing in these styles and you are hitting a note that's maybe a half step away and then the teacher's like, no, no, you're supposed to only do the, the microtone away. And then, like, mm -hmm. you're training your ability to like get that small um, gradation of pitch. Mm -hmm. I imagine that happens a lot before you like really start to catch on. Or uh... mm. yeah, it's challenging. Um, of course, I didn't just like wake up one day like perfectly singing microtonal scales. You know, sure. it's a lot of practice, a lot of work, and a lot of teachers like yelling at me in their way. <laughs> Some are like, that's wrong, no. 
and some are like more gentle or don't really want to talk about the details and then I would always be like digging like no show me that thing right right like asking a exorbitant amount of questions so. yeah because <laughs> no, I kind of have a parallel there uh, in my own experience when I'm teaching students uh, how to solo on guitar mm -hmm. and so you know you get used to the idea that everything's half steps and then when you're doing solos you're bending the string and then there's moments where you know you learn what a half bend is as it goes up a half step, a full bend mm -hmm. goes up a, a whole step. But then there's a quarter bend, um, and you know just these things that are in between that mm -hmm. you can do outside of the frets because now mm -hmm. you're bending the string, and that becomes an interesting moment to like as a as a reveal uh, to to a student who's learning like oh wait there's like this stuff you can still do like this whole range of motion mm -hmm. like what is that you know yeah it's, it's a combination of technique and emotionalism right right because the music mm. has to be lifted off the page or out of the computer it has to be infused with life and intention and emotion that's my goal in reaching people with music is accessing the emotions unlocking things making people feel think about things in different ways mm. Mm. so going back to this idea of like uh, how you started what's i think very unique and um, certainly say admirable is that you didn't start in a country where your childhood was already surrounded by that music, you mm -hmm. know? And so what you're saying in terms of like learning that specific, uh, the sound of it, the language of it, the scales of it, um, you, you, you took it upon yourself to devote all that time mm -hmm. and you're compelled by it in a way. And so that, that's really interesting. That's very unique, you know, um, aside, aside from like people who are born into a certain culture where that they're surrounded by it. And so that's yeah. just like who they become because that's what they're surrounded by. Yeah. Mm. I feel like that's my part of my life purpose, honestly. Mm. Um, and you have to enter all cultures with a lot of respect and a lot of humility and just a learning spirit. That's what you have to do. But I could have... You know, when I was 17, I was writing songs with guitar. I had a band called Blue Lady I composed for at CalArts till I was 21, 22, till I moved to New York. And the music was good, and it was like rock and soul. Mm -hmm. And I could have like gone farther with that. I could have stayed in the vein of what I knew from American music, but I didn't feel fulfilled. At that point, I, I stopped because I stop composing and performing that because I felt like there was more to learn. I also had artistic doubts and all of those like, well, who am I to express myself? Who's mm. going to care? Who's going <laughs> to listen? You know, I'm not doing anything unique or different. Mm. And, but even though I was, we all have to go through our cycles of doubt to get to um, sure. yeah. understanding of ourselves, right? But I wanted to explore and take the long way and like really dig into other styles of music. Like I've always had this like wide reaching curiosity about things and about music um, and do not like being boxed in to paradigms or stereotypes or nationalism or any of that. So I took the long way to really learn and engage and it took a long time and I, I performed traditional music, Balkan music with my trios and Arabic traditional music and 
before I felt like writing again. And then it was like three years ago mm. that I started having songs coming out mm. triggered by certain events, but like finally ready to speak and mm. learn to share my story with others and figure out what my story is and then be able to help people and connect with them. Mm. And then improvisation is a whole other topic we can get into. <laughs> Beautifully said, yeah. Now, um, in your early years, uh, as you were getting into music, and even before um, college, maybe even childhood, uh, do you feel like, or do you remember it being said that you had a propensity for, for creativity of any kind, even if it's not oh, yeah. musical, like uh, illustrating, like drawing it's things? Extremely or, creative child, yeah. Yeah, yeah? Like how so? Like what, what, what kind of anecdotes are there? I used to make uh, stories with stamps and write little short stories. So I would make books. I had like a whole stamp drawer like this. I would pull out and then make like castles and then write a story to go with it. <laughs> and that was one thing. Or in the pool, I would like go to the bottom of the pool and play tea party or mermaids, you know, that stuff. I was always climbing the walls of the hallway. I would be walking at the top of the walls. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like a crazy kid, rock hopping, loving nature, really having that like basically almost pagan sensibility of like the depth of nature and its importance to me since I was little. Mm. Um, and then writing, I don't know, I always loved writing. I wrote every day of my teenage years in a journal. Yeah, yeah I had a journal too. Um, and then I picked up photography when I was about 17 and was given a film camera when I started traveling and working on that and then developed it more seriously over 10 years later, but yeah, I'm, I'm just a creative being and I believe that we all are and we all have different things that we can do on the planet that can really fulfill us. But the way our society is set up, like there's a lot of, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, like stigma around really branching out on your own and what that means, being able to step into yourself without being labeled narcissistic mm. or also, um, a struggling artist or just so many like things thrown at us from mm. when we're little that we're supposed to believe or just accept when really like because of my inquisitive nature and always being a seeker spiritually and musically I had to like challenge all of that for myself and still every day challenging questioning but it's like actually we're meant to be here to enjoy our lives, to enjoy our experience, to feel the sunlight on our skin, to hear, use our ears to listen and to create, to create, to create for proliferation of different experiences and to engage with each other, with other beings, mm -hmm. not to isolate. And sometimes we choose to isolate and we choose fear and we choose to constrict in that rather than open up because we're afraid of ourselves, we're afraid of our own magnificence, we're afraid of other people judging us or what they will say or they don't even know what they feel about themselves. It's like the more compassion we can have for ourselves artistically and for others on their journey in the world, the smoother things go in my experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can certainly say that all children are born creative. Yeah. I mean, you see them throughout their first few years and they're constantly playing around with everything in front of them, yeah. testing out reality, telling stories, with their toys, um, interacting in these ways. And the weird thing is, as they grow into 
uh, kids and then teenagers and then adults, is it that they're losing that part just because uh, their brain is developing in a different way that doesn't um, have a propensity for that? Or is it culture and uh, just society kind of like weaning them off of it? You know, is it like, it's a curious question. Yeah. First, I wanted to say that reminds me, yesterday on the subway, there was a little girl with her pony, like, right behind me, and uh-huh. I got to hear her little inner world dialogue, that <laughs> whole that. play world, you know, yeah, like, yeah, right yeah. in my ear, she's like, mm, making this whole narrative, and I, it just reminded me of when I did that when I was little, and, like, kids are meant to play, you know, mm-hmm. that's why they shouldn't have a cell phone or this addiction to games, mm-hmm. like, you know, that... I played video games sometimes, but I always had time limits on TV and games because our brain is meant to grow and expand and find things to do when we're bored. That's the thing. It's the idea of when you're bored, your brain will figure out usually yeah. something creative to do. It's important. Part of development. Yeah, that's more entertaining than staring at a wall. But back to your question, I mean, I'm not sure I am uh, qualified to answer that adequately. It's you know, life is real. Life has a lot of challenges. There's a lot of personalities. But I honestly believe that everyone is doing the best they can based on what they know. Mm. And that everyone needs more love and more support Mm. and more community. And these are things that are missing in our modern society. And it's good to strive for material things. I think we all deserve that abundance, but not at the expense of humanity, of feeling free to express ourselves and free to say what we mean and say what we feel and free to explore and make mistakes and figure it out as we go and not have a formula for the whole life. Yeah. And that's not to say an office job is bad. Some people are truly happy doing that. And that's why there's a plethora of the diversity of choices for what people should be doing in life. But if you're not happy doing what you're doing, it's time to take steps towards that and figure it out. And this is part of what I want to help motivate people and inspire because life is short and then we're not going to be Mm. here. And there's no reason to spend it doing something that makes you feel miserable because this is reversing the work to live or live to work type thing, you know? Mm. Like we should be working to live and we should have a life outside of work and our work should be fulfilling to our lives. Right. And if it's not, that's our soul is not in alignment with what we're doing and we need to listen to it to move into a direction. And it's possible. That's the other thing. Like yeah. People think, oh, it's you have to struggle to be an artist or be this and that or, you know, it's never been done. Well, obviously, if you want to go in a new direction, it's not going to have been done before. Sure, you have exactly, to trust right. yourself exactly. and your vision enough to step out on that branch and be willing to risk ridicule and do things that people haven't done before and figure it out as you go along and have that faith in yourself and in something greater than yourself that it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. So this is another thing like for a lot of artists that don't know how to do it or make the transition to full time doing what they love. And I just want to help encourage people to do that and know that they are not alone and they can figure it out as they go along. And there's enough resources and abundance and work in the market in the world especially in in new york for everyone to be doing things that are fulfilling for them right 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 no exactly even if they do those things while they still maintain a nine-to-five job um but they feel like they'll have a more fulfilling life as they pursue those things as well 
Right. And it's not a selfish thing. That's the important thing. That's not a selfish thing. It's a natural thing. It's our birthright. Right. There, there was something that uh, it reminded me of. There was a student that was once teaching us. One of the best uh, guitar students. Mm-hmm. He was um, just like really great technically and all this stuff. And, and he kind of got the idea of that, you know, you, you take the piece and then just he kind of very naturally would, would take a song that he was playing and then kind of make it his own. Mm-hmm. Like weird ways, like just he'll change the rhythm, he'll change the speed. Um, he would like throw in his own little melody or something. Yeah. And I was like all for it. And then I just just this moment always stands out in my mind um, after one of the lessons and he had like just taken one of these, it was like a pop song and like kind of done his own version of it. Yeah. And then his dad uh, like took me aside after the lesson. He was like, um, so uh, I'll change his name. Uh, so Michael is, is doing really well, but um, that song that he's playing, it, like, it, he's, it's not sounding like the actual recording. Um, so uh, like maybe just try to get him to do it more like the recording. And then I'm like, no, 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 like, that's good stuff. Like, you don't understand, like, how rare it is for a child to still be able to, like, he was like maybe eight, nine, to still be able to just do that yeah. naturally and actually get something good out of it and, and something, you know, yeah. that, that feels like it's his own. Right. I'm like, no, 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 don't tell him to undo that or to play more like the recording. Like, that's actually something you should nurture. It's the more advanced step towards mastery. Right. After imitation experimentation right right and for it to actually give some give you something fruitful and something that works and sounds good is pretty rare mm-hmm. um, so hopefully yeah I think that little moment was maybe a moment for the parents to like reassess like oh there's other stuff aside from just like regimented do it this way and only this way and be impressive when you do it right there's like these other elements mm-hmm. that come into play too of the, 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 of the creativity right yeah mm. Do you think, because obviously there's, there's talent, like some people are born with like a predisposition to be better athletes than other people. Some people are born uh, like w- with a, perhaps a gift in, in doing mathematics better. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this idea exists where someone can be born with um, an exceptional ability in creativity? Of course. So like an ability to be creative that's uh, more general, uh, they can apply it to a certain field of, of focus, but um, that their ability to access, you know, the creativity is, is a higher aptitude or like a more of like a talent than uh, most people would be. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I think everyone has special gifts and things that are unique to them and their traits, personality and talent and uh, affinity with certain things and it's just about figuring out what that is for you as an individual on the quest towards meaning for your life mm-hmm. and I think um, like you mentioned children were all born pretty creative yeah yeah so maybe there are propensities more or less in that but it doesn't really matter what matters is following your bliss ultimately or the path that feels right for your life and I think sometimes children aren't given that opportunity mm. because they're put in a regimented um, formula for their life. Right, I mean the schools are certainly partially to blame with the anxiety caused by you gotta get the test done, you gotta do this, yeah. you gotta, um, not as much freedom 
for exploring ideas, more about learning and just doing correctly on tests. Right. Uh, and then is, forget uh, everything the next week. <laughs> right, because you're getting ready for the next test, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, 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 true. Um, so you sing in an ensemble, uh, the Black Sea Hotel. Black Sea Hotel, yes. And um, they, is it uh, correct to assume that um, most of it is kind of Balkan music, Balkan influenced, uh, traditional songs? Um, so we are at the nexus of traditional Balkan folk song and like pretty avant-garde contemporary new music arranging mm. because we all brought in our own arrangements and our own uh, encyclopedias mm. to the folk songs. So it's kind of starting from that as a foundation, like a melody, and then it goes wherever we infuse it with our our sensibility about harmony hmm. after that oh, that's pretty neat um so you guys also do your own arrangements of, of these yeah hmm. almost exclusively our own arrangements hmm. yeah so i mean i've heard in your own music like uh, the idea of, of harmonies you know harmonizing with your own voice and i've also heard you do that uh through a loop pedal right where you first set a bass loop yeah. Uh, of your voice and then um, your layering on top of it. What's that process like? I mean, do you, do you, are you improvising a lot of that? Do you already have an idea set and then half of it is improvised? How does, how does that work? Uh, the loop pedal, loop station actually, because it's three pedals in one, hmm. is super fun. And one of the, you know, cutting edge of my growth um, curve hmm. lately. Well, I, I do it different ways. So the compositions I have for my album, which is a whole nother process, how they come to me, um, I'm basically transferring them for an arrangement that I can do solo right now with layering my vocal harmonies. So I'll allocate mm. like the strings parts or the bass parts to the voice mm. and lay down the loops and like build from the end of the song and then the middle and then the front and then play through the song and then maybe add if there's a fourth part in the middle so it's like live looping during the performance mm -hmm. and in addition to that i do improvise with it um and i've been doing sound healing um sound meditation like sound bath type things where i will just allow myself to really open to that stream of consciousness inspiration that comes through and try not to get too technical or think about analyzing the music it's really just like holding a tone for mm. a long time and then adding maybe a fifth and mm. then improvising and then taking it in a different direction mm. and then phasing them in and out mm. as i feel called and that's also using the loop pedal mm -hmm. right oh okay yeah i did that for ecstatic dance recently mm. and because for most people who aren't singing, um, the idea of singing a voice and then creating harmony to it is like such a um, out there idea of like, how does that work kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think one of my yeah. natural aptitudes has always been hearing a lot of different parts in my head. Oh, no kidding. Really? Like I was telling you about the huh. Mariah Carey song. Yeah. But yeah, like I can hear for an orchestra or four parts of a harmony, like everything is in there. It doesn't go away when I'm singing a different part. Oh, okay. So you're hearing, well, it wouldn't be necessarily just a passage of chords, because in um, world music, there's not necessarily those chords, right? It's just the passing of... Modal sometimes, yeah. Right, 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 right. 
of harmonies themselves. Mm. But that's what I was doing on your track also that I recorded on. Mm. When we did layer after layer, yeah. I already had the idea for the next layers. And then I wanted to go back and add that. So it was like building, and then you heard the harmonies by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Part of it was improvised, but part of it was like it came and then it locked in and was waiting for its turn. Right. Now that was a really strange moment for me, um, watching you do all that. Because uh, I didn't know that that's what your approach was going to be. <laughs> I'd obviously never seen you in the studio before yeah. and I don't know how you did things. Yeah. Um, and all the other times I've been in the studio with a singer, it's just like, you know, we sing one part and then we like either have ideas for a harmony or something when we like, come back and listen to it but you literally just like you, you, you just took control of the session you're like okay start it from the beginning I'm like great and then the engineer's great and then you just do one pass and I think you, your first pass was just breathing which uh -huh. threw me off so much I was like what is happening <laughs> here you use that sample so much I loved it I loved it but I was like what is happening here like this is just three minutes of Shelly breathing, yeah. and then I and then the, and there was a moment where like the engineer and I kind of like kind of shared a glance, but we were like, <laughs> okay, well, we'll I'll see, we'll see where this goes, and then we didn't say anything. The track was came to the end, and then you're like, okay, uh, let me do another track from the beginning. And I was like, oh, oh, there's something else going on here, and then you put in I think the one of the drones, mm -hmm. and then you did it again, put in another drone, and so there still wasn't any melody or anything, but mm -hmm. I was like, oh, she kind of has. She has a sense of like a full structure exactly. forming um, from the layers that she's putting into the voice. Yeah. And I, I'm sure the engineer never saw anything like that either. So he mm. was um, he was like, whoa, oh, oh, okay. Because <laughs> it started really strange. And then like all of a sudden you see it coming together piece by piece, you know. Yeah. It's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for riding that wave with me. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> it, it just like amazed me so much because I was like, oh, this is like, I'm witnessing a creative act in front of me mm -hmm. using, interestingly enough, using the technology of the studio mm -hmm. within your creative act, mm -hmm. right? Because you're then listening back right away. and the, uh, So it, it was pretty unique. I'd never seen something like that Just before. to interrupt here for a second. So yeah, yeah. The song that Shelley and I are talking about here is something we collaborated on for my Catharsis album. Uh, the song coincides with a music video, which you can check out on my YouTube channel under MJ Dorian. And the video is called Devil Wood. And all throughout, you can hear Shelley's incredible vocal work um, in this way that uh, we were discussing, where she layered her vocals and um, did multiple passes in that way in the studio. Also, if you happen to dig stop motion animation, you'll probably enjoy that in the video as well. Here is a little clip that I think illustrates uh, some of Shelley's work on that song. And then after the clip, we'll return to the conversation.
So, I noticed there was something related to an Alex Gray performance mm -hmm. at the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors? Yes. That sounds amazing. Yes, I performed there in January. Oh, you one did? One of their full moon ceremonies. Oh, you did already? Yeah. Because I, I saw on their site there was like another... Okay, so it, it was an event that passed already. Unless they're it? booking me again and they right. haven't told me <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. So can you tell me about that? Because I've always loved his art. Oh, I, my he God. He used to have a too. Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in Manhattan that mm -hmm. I visited a few times. And I was like, no, when it, when it had to move upstate. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, well, well, how was that? It was like one of the top five or ten life experiences. Yeah, no kidding. Had. Did you know his art beforehand? Yes, oh, you of did? course. Okay. I've been a fan for years. Mm. Um, it was amazing to be in that chapel space surrounded by this magnificent artwork. He is such a visionary and has some really profound truth in his art. Mm. Like, more than any other artist that I've ever seen can right. really capture like what I saw on my ayahuasca journey, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. which is something that changed my life. It's, it's accessing these dimensions that we don't normally have access to that he puts so beautifully into like a physical form, like showing what it is. It's just, it's beyond words. It's visionary. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much visionary. Yeah. But yeah, I performed there with him and Allison sitting right next to me. Mm. And obviously, you know, I was just honored and the audience was also really receptive and open hearted there. And I feel like they were impacted positively and able to, feel the benefit that I was hoping to give. Um, and yeah, it's just a magical space. It's so, their intention is so strong mm. and they're creating this whole new building. I forget what it's called. Entheon? Entheon, I think yeah. it's Entheon, yeah. Which is gonna be just insane. The, the outside, the way they've designed it so far, looks nuts. Yeah. It's unbelievable, it looks like, I mean, it was so far just an artist rendering, but I, yeah. it's gonna, that's what it's gonna look like. And it looks like some kind of ancient, structure created by uh, some kind of like fourth dimensional upper higher yeah. uh, human spiritual being like it's just so beautiful the, the way they've, they've uh, conceptualized it yeah it's gonna be like you know millennia from now if those ruins are found here in america they'll be like what was this civilization right <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very true very true but yeah that was a um, wonderful experience to perform there hmm are there any um, music artists that give you that similar kind of feel or experience to his visual art? I mean, I guess Le Mystère de Bois Bogart. Oh my God! The, yes, the choir, the cosmic <laughs> choir. You know, they yeah. are the closest thing, maybe. At what point did you hear them in your journeys in the world music when you were studying stuff? Was it? Somewhere in the beginning when you were first? Because they came out like, yeah, they became popular around in the 90s in America. 2005 or something when I started studying Bulgarian music. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a huge thing when I first heard them. Yeah, just like the strident sound of the vocals and the, the tense kind of harmonies, mm -hmm. but beauty of them and just always like a dramatic feel to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sense of dynamics. Mm hmm. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. That's what I uh, heard when I would listen to your album, Joy. Mm. It's very much like, I just 
can't not have that association when I'm listening to those pieces. Mm. Thinking back to hearing the mystery of the Bulgarian voices. Yeah, stuff, yeah. some of them are directly from the choir. Right. So, yeah. And actually, there's a band called Akara. I don't mm. know if you've listened to them, but uh, to answer your question, it's probably the most like um, intergalactic or cosmic sounding music that mm. matches Alex Gray for me, maybe. Mm. How do you spell it? Akara, A K A R A. I don't know if they're currently active. Um, but they had a great singer and producer who are active on their solo projects for sure. Mm. And, um, should we wait for that? Oh, very New York City. <laughs> the fact that we, we don't even, uh, acknowledge the ambulance <laughs> to like do. one minute. It's like an extended ambulance and it's like, wait a second. It's like the bane of my existence. Uh. <laughs> my ears are also very sensitive. Oh so no, like, really? Yeah. Yeah, whenever I'm around ambulance, I have to do that. Or I'm wearing earplugs. You should try howling. That's what my dog does. I'm, I'm assuming maybe it's because like it helps her deal with the ambulance sound. Like sounds like a therapeutic response. Yeah, just like I do. I can't. I can never tell whether she's joining in because that's just her instinct when she hears a howl, or whether she's like trying to mask the sound to protect her own ears. Oh, you know, who knows? But sweetheart, yeah. I love dogs. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Anyways, Akara is one of the electronic music influences for the music that I'm making. Mm. Um, it's really, really just cosmic and beautiful, and they have harp and strings and different instruments and electronics and ethereal vocals and great beats and beautiful couple albums they have. Hmm. Cool. I'll have to check them out. Yeah. For sure. So, part of this idea of like uh, what I saw in, I guess, what we could say is your story of your journey so far in music is this idea I'm about to express, but I'd like to see about your thoughts about it. Mm -hmm. Is that when we're born, the, the body and the mind and the you know, neurons, they can have a certain propensity to almost like go in a certain direction, let's say, like you kind of uh, almost get the wheels of the story spinning and then you just let it go. Mm -hmm. And then the environment the person is born in, you know, their family environment and things like this, it, it has an influence on them in, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, the influence encourages that, that growth in a certain direction or discourages it. Mm -hmm. and that certainly happens. And if, if they have not... Purposefully yeah. or inadvertently. Sure, yeah, sometimes inadvertently, sometimes just the society they're living in. But if it hasn't been stymied early on and they're kind of allowed to just go, the eventual path they go on is kind of like what they're predestined to do, right? It's kind of like a destiny of a kind. So I'm curious if you believe in that kind of stuff. It's like a form of destiny. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just one person with one opinion and experience, right? But, um... I believe that destiny and free will are one and the same because mm. duality is part of ultimate reality. And in the quantum world, there is no right, wrong, up, down, light, dark. It's all the same thing. Mm. And everything exists. This is what I believe. Everything that we can imagine exists. Mm. All the possible outcomes exist. All the possible realities. Uh, many dimensions. Hundreds. Um, and so, like, wh where we come from, our origin, it 
wants to come here into this planet to explore and yeah maybe there are soul contracts with certain people and maybe there are things that we're meant to get done here maybe we get distracted while we're here and we have free will and we make choices but it's mm. all a part of the cosmic whole and it's because there is no past present or future it's all now like it's already done so mm. that's the destiny but it's also like always a choose your own adventure type thing mm. <laughs> that's uh, perpetually unfolding in mm. the ever present now mm. Mm. yeah beautifully beautifully expressed so you had mentioned ayahuasca um, you've had uh, one uh, so far ayahuasca experience it was two sittings oh two sittings yeah in the same like few days or, or yeah. the same? oh yeah I know a few people who have done it now, uh, and people whose opinions I respect, and they they always have the same few things to say, which was that it was very profound. It was it was almost hard to put into words what it was and all this. Mm -hmm. How long ago was yours? Two years. Two years. I mean, mm -hmm. so you've had some time maybe to reflect on it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really curious to hear what your you know what your thoughts are about it. Maybe reflections that it gave you and what you might want to say in terms of encouraging or discouraging someone from trying it if it's not for everybody and that kind of stuff. So yeah, ayahuasca changed my life and caused me to believe in God essentially. I was agnostic before that. Mm. And after that I saw the magnificence of ultimate reality, I saw the underworld, I saw infinity, I saw where we come from, mm. and I heard music heavenly cosmic music which I've tried to channel in some of my work mm. and I felt for the first time in my life that I was deeply loved and cared for and mm. I was exactly where I was supposed to be mm. and this is part of the message that I want to carry to people mm. I am also um, sober and I don't engage in anything for you know recreation or at this point in my life um, and when I chose to take ayahuasca, I was aware of how profound it was and how important it was. And mm. um, so I went to it with this intention and this reverence for this plant medicine spirit to teach me mm. about the universe and life and existence. And it did. Mm. And I had a very complete experience. Wow. Um, so it's very powerful and I can't exactly recommend it because it was also terrifying. The right. most terrifying experience I've ever had, and mm. I channeled some of that in the work we did too. When I, mm. with this breath work, and kind of went back there a little bit. Um, but it gave me this depth of understanding to really be able to go places and mm. like not be scared of people or mental disorders, or to really understand like that everything is real, and that it's okay, and that we come from. A, play, a source that is infinitely loving and infinitely intelligent mm. and then it splits off and separates itself to experience itself mm. and this is the ultimate paradox of duality that unity or God cannot experience itself cannot know itself without being separate from itself mm. and so but beyond that um, I believe that life is clearer without having substances in general like um it's easier to have more clarity and motivation and accomplish things that i want without dimming my light 
from trying to fill a void or right. you know use things to numb my feelings right right sure 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 so it's a very um delicate topic yeah 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 i mean when i was a teenager i i dabbled in psychedelic uh drugs mostly acid and obviously we a lot of people do um even more people do nowadays mm -hmm. but looking back i i kind of have an understanding now that uh things that are hallucinogenic uh they're they're dangerous to meddle with um, recreationally, without mm -hmm. without a purpose, without a stated yeah. um, setting and a context for kind of uh, exploration yes. that might be psychological, spiritual, that is intended to have have a specific guided experience. Yes. Because in a sense, it really feels like what what's the possibility there is you have a possibility to rewire your brain in a damaging way mm. uh, by accident, mm. completely out of your control um, mm -hmm. for a period of time. Um, Seems like mm -hmm. like the connections kind of loosened and, and uh, it, it's a very like a fragile moment, yes. very very uh, vulnerable you know, vulnerable moment. Yeah, it definitely rewired me in a positive way because I took it seriously. Yeah, and it also reminded me to take my body seriously and value and honor my body and mm. what I put in it. Mm. So the interesting thing uh, that that reminds me of is like this idea that I always hear mentioned specifically about ayahuasca, not anything else, um, it, that they refer to it as, as a she, mm -hmm. and they say uh, that it kind of has a spirit of its mm -hmm. own. And I think that's a really compelling idea. Is that what you experience? It's true. Yeah? Yeah, mm. for sure. Mm. It's probably hard to put into words, but it's just that you felt it to be true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what I say is true is my personal truth, sure. right? Experience. Sure. So, uh, but it's a plant medicine and it's a spirit guide mm. that is a great teacher and mm. it's feminine essence. Well, when I've thought about that before, uh, when first hearing, you know, uh, quite a few people mentioned that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. There's another siren. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this is New York City. So, I think uh, just in general, like looking at life more in that way, like assuming that things um, have a spirit in a sense, I think is an insightful and interesting way to interact with the world. So like, um, like I got this flute not long ago, it's uh, modeled after like a Navajo flute and it's, it's a company that continues making these, these uh, flutes in the style of, of, of old American Indian flutes. So I was playing it and then it, it seems like it wanted me to create certain kinds of sounds and certain melodies. Yes. Even though I wasn't familiar enough with what Native American music tends to do. Mm -hmm. Until like afterward I was listening to it, I was like, oh yeah, they do tend to do that. But it was like, the only way I could explain it would be that it was the spirit of the flute uh, wanting to play those melodies. Like yes. this is the melody that this flute wants to play. And like yeah. if you were to tell somebody who's maybe a not musician, they'll be like, you're like being really like new agey and spiritual, but it's like, no, no. This, I am this, new agey and spiritual. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> Fair enough. I have more power to you. But like the, this idea is interesting. Like how far can you take that? That like everything like it wants to be a certain way, or this is the melody it wants to play, or you know this is the, the thing. Yes, yeah. that's how I feel about the oud. Mm. The more time I devote to it, the more I approach it with humility and learning. It shows me things every day. Hmm. And it wants to 
play it. It wants to sing. Wants to sing, yeah. It wants yeah. to sing this melody and that melody. And, and it takes pain to sing. Mm. It sings better after I've gone through something and I'm able to channel that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So pain is uh, important for art. It doesn't mean we have to stay suffering the whole time, but it means that we can use it productively to channel into our art and it infuses it with meaning and emotion that is uh, one of the most beautiful things about art and music is we can connect to others and share that with others and let them know they're not alone if they're going through that and it reaches something deep inside people mm. yeah definitely kind of a convergence of pleasure and pain mm. or an alchemy from whatever circumstance you're creating something yeah. beyond that. Yeah, creativity very much isn't, it's like alchemy, yeah, very true. And you can, you can then take the next step and say that your own voice, that your own body, uh, since as a singer, uh, it wants to sing certain melodies, say certain things. And so uh, you as like a consciousness in that body, as a sense, you know, it's a responsibility to bring those things forward Right. In a similar way, because like you know, it's how far you can take this this uh, this line of of thought and exploration. Yeah. Yeah, you can take it into like your own body. Also, has a thing it needs to express or wants yes. to express. Right? Yes. Yeah. And this is part of what I teach in voice lessons mm. with students. Is yeah. everyone has their own voice. Everyone has their own story and their own uh, essence that is like you said a. A responsibility to give to the world to share mm. because if we keep our light to ourselves or try to make ourselves small out of fear or whatever reasons we're not helping anything it's not taking away from someone else for us to shine we all have the opportunity to shine and to let your voice out so this is all connected the chakras the throat feeling heard and seen and understood feeling like you have clarity in what you want to say being able to communicate effectively and to sing and be open. And this is, leads me to the topic of improvisation, which is an extremely spiritual element of music. And that's, you know, I couldn't improvise for years. I was mm. afraid. And a lot of singers don't improvise mm. until finally I unlocked something inside myself and said, okay, I, I can express myself without fear. I can mm. go there. I can make a mistake. I can see what happens. I can let what I went through today come out in my singing. Mm. And it's the voice is different every day, depending mm. on where you're at emotionally, physically. Right, it's a everything. living instrument. Yeah. yeah. And that that should be celebrated. Like improvisation is so amazing. And that's what makes jazz so magical mm. is that they're constantly in dialogue with each other and all the instruments are just crying out with their personal expression. And we can learn from that and apply it to other forms of music that maybe have less improvisation in their structure, but more importantly, in creating our own music, if we feel so inclined to do so. Mm. And then it, music emulates life and nature emulates life and music. Like I learn so much when I'm running in the park about life and death cycles of regeneration and growth and expansion. Um, so improvisation as a life lesson is like, not everything's always going to go exactly like you planned, even if you <laughs> plan it perfectly, right? right? But then you might find the most beautiful result out of that, going in a different direction that you never planned was going to happen yep. because you were yep. open to it and yep. because yep. you were yep. flexible. Yep. 
Definitely. So there's so many beneficial things about improvisation. Mm-hmm. But really, that was a moment when I unlocked that for myself as a singer that allowed me to be more free and move towards my compositions, like coming mm-hmm. through, because I wasn't afraid anymore of um, my perfectionism, of mm-hmm. judgment or criticism from myself or others. It's like feeling those fears and acknowledging those fears that all artists have, and then keep going. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of that is true liberation and artistic freedom where we can make the thing that no one else can make because no one has your knowledge, wisdom, experience, talent, whatever makes you you in your life. It's only you that can contribute that to society. And that's how we're going to make the world a better place. Not by standing with a sign, like complaining about something. I, that's why I don't involve politically that way. I involve like on the ground in a one-on-one dialogue with others and yeah. with my music. Yeah. Yes. So this idea that uh, the fear of failure or making mistakes... It's always going to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always going to be there. And then the thing that's important, I think, that I, I kind of remind myself about is that if uh, you're not making mistakes, then you're not trying anything new and you're right. not growing. because. Right. If you're making mistakes, it means you're going into a frontier of thought and of exploration you haven't tried yet because you haven't right. mastered it, right? right? And so the mistakes have to happen because that's how you learn what that frontier of thought and, and style or exploration is. Um, Absolutely. But we, we naturally, throughout you know, society, teaches us mistakes, you know, like pressure to avoid them. But yeah. It's so backwards. I feel like. Part of that is because of fear, other people constricting in fear or self-judgment or self-criticism. So they project that outwards onto others Mm. because they've been conditioned that way. And so this leads to a society of repression, repressed creativity, repressed ideas, repressed emotion, Mm. because people are afraid of what will happen because it's been perpetuated this way. So I'm trying to move in a direction of inclusiveness, mm-hmm. abundance, uh, going away from the lack mentality into the field of possibility, of wonder, of childlike wonder, and maintaining that um, possibility for expansion creatively and in business or in any area of life, of you know, yes-based, solution-based, what, what do you have to offer and what do, what, how can we make something beautiful here or find solutions? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little paradigm shift and there's some people on board with it and those that are not maybe don't even realize if they're like inhibited by fear, but they know that something doesn't feel right or that they're afraid to express themselves about something. Mm. And so I want to be an advocate for people to have freedom of expression, true freedom of expression. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a sense of a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it was brought on by um, the internet as, as a domain for people to sell their own unique things and mm-hmm. to connect with other people and see what other people are doing. So I, I have noticed like a lot of people uh, taking those, those steps toward uh, living more creatively and yeah. And, and fulfilling those kinds of needs of their own. But at the same time, it's a strange thing because that freedom um, that exists because of the internet and 
and social media, then there's also like a, a different kind of social pressure uh, in through social media of people feeling like they have to constantly curate who they are yeah. and then then not take risks because mm-hmm. they know someone's constantly watching or this is not going to get as many likes or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like, so it, it's weird because it works in both ways. It's mm-hmm. like encouraging because you get to see everybody doing these things and then discouraging others because maybe they have particularly judgmental friends or they're in, in, in a high school and they don't want to be judged by what they do, you know, on their... Just yeah. high school? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, there's a bunch of studies scientifically that scrolling through social media can lead to increased depression and anxiety by looking at the highlight reels of other people's lives. Right, making yourself feel inadequate. Yeah, Yeah, like it's not an accurate representation of reality. And I really feel strongly about this whole technological shift, like that I embrace it, but also don't want it to take away from our humanity. Like this interaction we're having right now is priceless. And that's what life is about. It's like connecting with people in a real way in real time while using technology to our advantage to help with that but Mm -hmm. not to take over so it's like a fine line and i feel like the technological advances in the last 10 years have kind of like outgrown us like Mm -hmm. we're evolutionarily not caught up Mm -hmm. both physically and like emotionally and it can be like stunting emotionally and cause more um you know, psychological issues. So it's really kind of a dangerous, but also beautiful, fascinating time yeah, that yeah, we're in with yeah. that. Yeah, technology definitely seems to race ahead of our moral compass to adjust. Yeah. And it's always like we're trying to catch up to where it is, even more so in the last yeah, 10, 20 years. But I will say that the more comfortable I can be with myself and trust myself and love myself, and get past the fears we were talking about the more i can put stuff on social media and just let it be Mm. without needing it to be perfect like i'm an advocate of of authenticity in Mm. social media and same in the photographs that i make i like people to look like people not like a photoshop Mm -hmm. you know i like to get emotion out in the photos and so i kind of just take it in stride do you know what I can on the different platforms and and try not to worry about being perfect right. or what other people think because we're all in it together and it's just like a beast that we're a part of and we can contribute to it and I want to be helpful. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're you're doing an uh, awesome job. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, I think we'll wrap up the this wonderful conversation because we touched on a lot of fun, fascinating topics. Yeah. And I think we've given people a lot of good stuff to think about. Awesome. I, I think yeah. I have one more idea. If Please. You have time. Yeah. Just regarding the album that I'm making, which is yeah. called Mirror. It's not just world music. It's me as a spiritual being in the world and how I experience the world. So it's influenced by all the styles of music I have been influenced by, including classical music from my mom as a pianist when I was falling asleep at night, including harmony, choral, Western harmony, and Arabic music, and Bulgarian music, and Hindustani singing styles, and Mm. West African drumming styles, and um, Cuban music, and Latin jazz styles. 
as well as electronic music and pop. So there's an accessibility and a trance element that I'm going for, simplicity with complexity in the layers at the mm. same time. And I want to help people open up something, to feel something emotionally and access inside themselves and ask questions you know, about love, about psychology, about their reality, about happiness, like thinking of these concepts and what it means to be human in this technological age. So it's drawing inspiration from all these styles of world music, but it's also my expression of my experience with hopes of reaching other people to inspire them to fulfill their potential without fear. This is kind of like the essence that's going into the album. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's beautiful. And so the album's called Mirror, mm -hmm. right? If people wanna, which I recommend they should follow you and check all this stuff out. Uh, where can they find it? Yes, um, my website is Shelly Voice, www.shellyvoice.com, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-V-O-I-C-E. I'm also on Instagram at Shelly Voice and on Facebook at Shelly Thomas Music. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, so go follow her. She's great. And <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. That's right. So thank you for having me um, in your lovely place of living here. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and it's been an honor. And this is Creative Codex. This has been Shelley Thomas. And thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that sit down with Shelley Thomas. I certainly enjoyed our conversation. We uh, kind of took it into spiritual places that I didn't expect for us to cover, but I'm very glad we did. It's clearly an essential part of Shelley's life and music, as well as my own. But as the conversation took on a life of its own, and we were finishing and I was uh, packing up the mics and stuff, uh, both of us realized we didn't really talk about her creative process at all. So I set the mics back up, and Shelley provided some deeper insights into that side of things. After she finishes speaking, you'll hear a new song of hers, called Mirror, which is from her upcoming album. You can find that song on her SoundCloud page. Just uh, search her name, Shelly Thomas, with two L's, and follow her work on Instagram and Facebook at Shelly Voice. That's at S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-V-O-I-C-E. The next episode of Creative Codex will be about Salvador Dali. I hope you stay tuned for that. Here's Shelly again. So, do you ever get any of your creative ideas, they just kind of come to you fully formed, or you get them in pieces? Um, how does that process work? That's a great question. The creative process is widely varied and different almost every time. Um, but I really feel that it's beyond me and bigger than me, and that I... I'm kind of like a channel or a vessel for the music and the ideas to come through me. And the more clear I can get, the easier it comes through. So sometimes a song will come as I'm falling asleep at night. Two of the songs in my album have come that way. Hmm. And I had to get up and write it. Dreamtime and Cuba. Hmm. And another one came during my ayahuasca experience. I heard 
Music of the spheres. That's what it felt like. Mm. The most beautiful like sound I could think of. Was it voices? Was it what was what was the like, content of that music? I mean, strings and voices is the closest thing I can translate to it, but it's mm. really just frequency. It's mm. like the actual like frequency of the universe vibrating as itself. Mm. So that's Bed of Souls, this song that I wrote, inspired by that. Um, and another one came during a dream, and I got it out in the morning after, which is called Rise. And I had just that string, the string like motif going around in my head, and it felt like the saddest, most beautiful thing I ever heard. And I was watching the sunset with my dad in the dream. Hmm. And then I got up and wrote that like string part. Oh, wow. And then I have poetry. I've written a lot of poetry over the years, intermittently in spurts. Like sometimes it's like almost every day poetry and then not for years. So sometimes I'll take like a couple lines out of that from seven years ago and plug it into a song. Or mm. sometimes I'll have one ah, motif of a melody that's like came to me by itself, isolated, just randomly. And then I figure out that goes at the end of this song like three years later. Mm. And then sometimes I'll get the whole arrangement done and have no lyrics and then go to the mic and start improvising and see what comes out as I'm flowing and what sticks from that. Or sometimes I'll have a whole song that I could sing written with lyrics, but the arrangement's not ready. Um, so it's literally different every time. Mm -hmm. And I just feel honored to like be able to be a receptacle for this type of creativity. Because sometimes when it's done, I'm like, I don't know who did that. Like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I can't do that. Right. Like it's, And it's like a fury of ideas. It's like it has to come out. Mm. And... When I'm in the flow, right? Sometimes it's like, <clears throat> like stop, start, blocking. Sure, you know? sure, sure. But if it's in the flow and I, I'm connected to all that is and this universal energy, that's what I'm drawing from for the inspiration. And it's almost, I'm not sure, but it feels like the music pre-exists. Like mm. it's already there and I'm just discovering it. Rather right, it feels than, like a discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than creating it. Yeah. Which was introduced to me, that concept by one of my teachers at CalArts. Um, <laughs> and so it's like Michelangelo or whoever chipping away at the sculpture, you yeah. know? It's like you, it's there already. It exists. Yeah. yeah. It's You're revealing weird. it rather than sculpting. Yeah. Yeah. So like for me, my, my whole musical arc in my life has been like discovery, that childlike wonder and like learning and digging into things and then coming up with ideas and like falling and getting up and figuring it out and then like having these spurts of inspiration where that's like all I can literally think about or I'll become obsessed with a song or a melody for months and then it's like painful if it doesn't come out mm -hmm. like that's mm -hmm. the process of the mm -hmm. album it's like a birth and I don't actually want children in this life I want music that's mm. my child it's my lover and my child mm. it's like extremely deep and profound for me the way that my relationship with music. Mm. So I just feel really honored to be able to be a part of that and to participate in it and to be present enough to show up to meet it and greet it with open arms and see what, what it gives to me. Hmm. It, it does kind of, uh, when you say that the pain of it wanting to come out, it's, it's the, I've felt that before too. I, I usually 
think of it like a pressure in the head um, mm -hmm. where it's like it's, it's, it's compelling itself outward mm -hmm. and when you when you don't when maybe you don't have enough time that day it it does it again and it like, kind of gets stronger and like, yeah. it's like no 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 come on you gotta let me out I'm yeah. stuck in here and it's like what that's a very bizarre idea to think that like what you're saying sometimes it's a fully conceived idea and rather than you creating it you're kind of like dusting something off and, and uncovering it like oh is this thing oh and then like when you make a mistake you're not actually creating it and making a decision you maybe just went the wrong way for a second in trying to discover what the larger picture is right yeah which wasn't really the wrong way because it's part of your way right maybe you <laughs> right, maybe you picked something else up from that uh what perceived error that you still add and use yeah um, mm. yeah and like you were talking earlier about everything having an essence or how far can you take that like its essence or its dharma whatever wanting mm. to exist and fulfill a purpose like maybe the songs are actually that way mm. and like this what the song wants kind of thing yeah no that's that's definitely true in works of art like a deity yeah. in itself or in essence in itself, the song. And we yeah. are serving the song. And we're serving other people by sharing the song. Right, right. I think there's, there's something to be said of the spirit of a work, that, you know, the energy that all the people that participate uh, in inhabits. Uh, I've had that experience on um, when I've done music for films. And uh, when you're working with a good crew of people, uh, everyone puts their ego aside. Mm -hmm. And what is the best thing Yes. isn't what somebody thinks is the best it's just what's best for the project what's best yes. for the film what's best for this work of art and so in a sense it's like the spirit of the work itself is now communicating to everyone involved and like we, we take that for granted we're just like yeah. oh that's just what's happening but there's something oddly like spiritual about that because like all these films these great films get made and usually what's happening is, is this crew uh, puts aside you know those those egos and they're working for the, what's the best for this work of art yeah yeah it's like what does the film want oh the film wants that decision to be made because that makes yeah. it stronger yeah yeah it takes mm. on a life of its own beyond the people that are involved yeah we're yeah. just tools essentially mm. so the creative process is extremely humbling and flexible has to be flexible and requires a lot of patience there could be a tiny seed planted and it takes years to show like a little mm. sprout above, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of artists are like, oh, it's not working or just mm. stop or get lost because we can't see, it's not about instant results business. And that's where music clashes with the technology and the social media thing. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you cannot just churn out content every month if that's what we're told to do in our new right. formula because that's what people want. Right. If you're a true artist, you have to follow your inner guidance and let the art come as it comes mm -hmm. you can't force it right yeah like there's an idea i think that uh like for songwriting let's say you create a song that's that's particularly good and people are responding to and they're like wow like how long did it take you to create and in reality the answer is uh, my whole life exactly like this has taken me however many years i've been on earth to create this yeah and maybe they're like ah that's funny it's like no no like literally all the decisions that went into or, or not even decisions yes. but just the fact that this exists is from everything happening up to that moment totally yeah 
yeah, so the only other note is that these are some of the reasons why art is extremely valuable and it's been extremely debased in our society and mm. looked at as like almost like a a low class thing or musicians it's like they they're often like not paid enough or not considered worthy of pay because it's unstable work but like it deserves everything like anyone who's suffering in any emotional pain what is it that's always there for the music anyone who might want to take their life if they have a song that they love that might be enough to like keep them from going over the edge mm. this is an extreme example but it happens every day mm-hmm. like music is literally what unifies humans and unites us as a society and puts us in touch with ourselves so it serves an extremely important role and i am a humble servant of the music and i want to help people through that and help others uh, express themselves through that Hmm. it's a beautiful thing it's it kind of takes on the role of the artist as shaman mm-hmm. like that the the artist isn't just creating goods right isn't just creating something to consume bringing forth experiences or reflect the things that people will reflect upon yes. in their own selves and, and causing growth personal transformation yeah absolutely yeah and so it has that profundity and power, but it's also playful and it wants to be playful and mm. it wants to be joyful and it wants to skip and it wants to go slow and it wants to go fast and it's everything. It's really about assigning a form to the frequencies and vibrations of life that are already there. Mm. Well, it's funny that you're using that it wants. It comes back to that idea of, of the spirit of things. And like, I think when we say that something wants this or like, well, that's the, the flute wants to play this melody. You you put yourself in a position of humility because it's no longer, I, I want to write a really cool melody. Now it's like, what does the flute want? And then it's it comes out from your place of humility, right? And so in that sense, maybe it's, it's a, a more pure thing. Yeah. What is, yeah. But at the same time, maybe I don't know what it wants. Hmm. If I'm not in tune, you know? This is part right. of the push-pull why it takes time, why there could be pushback sometimes sure. with, with works of art. Yeah, it's yeah. you can't assume it's always going to be easy because most things that are valuable never are. Right, but we can create the space for a fertile ground for the creativity to flourish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good. Good little extra.
Show